this is the training to provide you all with some identifications of different um, housing um, programs, housing strategies to support your clients with their uh, needs. Um, we're approaching this from a few different angles here. And so today's part one, I'm joined by uh, my colleagues, Larry Fernandez and Chelsea Sims. Um, Larry and I will be taking over for uh, day one today. And then um, tomorrow, you'll be joined by Larry again <laughs> and Chelsea for part two. And so in getting us all on the same ground and framework for understanding um, not just what types of housing programs and housing opportunities are out there for our clients, I think it's pretty important to begin with just refreshing ourselves and reviewing the challenges that our clients face with access accessing housing, which, well, as you see, are probably um, components that you're very familiar in um, problem solving and troubleshooting and working with your clients, right? We have no rental history being a barrier. Um, sometimes age discrimination can occur. Um, when trying to apply for different um, apartment units or, or lease agreements, um, not having a job even, so just unemployment being a barrier or not having enough income um, to afford market rate rent, um, just the lack of standing on its own to even um, sign the lease themselves, right? Um, and then other barriers um, include some of exposure to DV, domestic violence, or maybe um, sexual assaults, um, and exchanging basically in illegal activities for housing um, itself, right? That's a, a challenge that some of us have to deal with in navigating um, stable and um, ideal fits for our clients. We also have as a barrier, maybe even being a single parent. And then discrimination um, based on physical, mental, or cognitive impairments, um, but also there's discrimination for other reasons too. Um, race and ethnicity, um, religion um, can be discriminatory components as well. And so I um, just wanted to set the stage for reminding, refreshing that um, these are, you know, barriers that um, in terms of being the provider and the worker with the client that it's helpful to identify so that there is an increase in some support, right? To successfully link clients to referrals into housing um, resources. Um, you have to get through certain levels to achieve others at times with our clients. The next slide that you see here is and that theme, and along the lines of understanding challenges that our clients face, um, I think that it's also important that we understand the definition of housing insecurity itself, homelessness itself, so that we're able to provide best approach linkages for our clients, which a lot of um, today will be about what those linkages actually are. But in order to um, 
successfully connect a client to a best fit approach, it's important uh, that we start here with, let's go into what exactly is homelessness as defined by the housing and urban development um, of you, the department, excuse me, of housing and urban development, uh, federal department or HUD. Um, and so HUD, according to, when was this? In 2019, defines homelessness as an individual or family that lacks a regular and adequate nighttime residence. Individuals are also considered homeless if they have the following. Uh, they are trading sex for housing. They are staying with friends or family, but cannot stay longer than 14 days. They are being trafficked. They have no safe alternative housing after experiencing physical, emotional, or financial abuse or threats of abuse. In a second, I'll also go into there's uh, HUD's four categories of homelessness. And we'll talk about why that's important as well um, to empower the work that you're doing with identifying uh, best fit strategies for clients. So as I mentioned, uh, HUD housing, uh, urban development, um, it's federal, right? And fed there's federal programming, state level programming, city level. Um, just wanted to start here at federal so that we can get a better understanding of the different category categories as defined federally of homelessness and what that breaks down to. The importance of this is it's helpful for advocacy. Um, it's helpful for client empowerment. It's also helpful for you as the provider yourself to increase your own knowledge and working scope of what's out there and how the needs or those barriers that we discussed earlier um, actually correlate and fall in line with certain categories. So category one is an individual or family experiencing literal homelessness. Um, so that was what uh, about 71% of the room identified as supporting clients who fall under here. Um, so that is defined as living in a place not meant for human habitation. So that's sleeping on the streets, essentially in the parks, staying in an emergency shelter, transitional housing, and then you also have this other eligibility component or criteria, I should say, excuse me, exiting an institution where they temporarily resided for no more than 90 days and had experienced homelessness immediate prior to entry. Um, in the chat, does anyone have any idea of what exactly that could look like? Um, what that does look like, maybe you have supported a client um, who falls under that criteria. So for what's an example of an institution where a client has resided no more than 90 days and experienced homelessness prior to entry? Any ideas around that? Absolutely. State hospital, re-entry, sober living, rehabs, hospitalizations. Yep. You're on it, shelters. Exactly. So I think once again, it's just important to um, client getting out of juvenile hall, yeah, and living with relatives, um, very unique and definitely applicable. So I did want to 
uh, name that one out as well. Um, so thank you for responding in the chat. Um, and as I mentioned, the importance is just so that we um, are supporting one another as well and identifying, you know, where are um, our clients falling under in terms of homelessness? How does that look like in correlation to access and linkages to different programs because other program or housing programs and um, especially that are state funded, locally funded, will use HUD's categories as the markers for entry for clients. Okay, and I see a question in the chat. Does transitional housing count as literal homeless? It did not in the past, maybe this changed. Great question, Emily. Um, so that actually is something that is a common confusion. Um, a little bit of background about myself. I'm sorry, I did not really introduce myself thoroughly. I am um, an associate clinical social worker. Um, a lot of my work, probably about five years um, going on, has been in supporting homeless, uh, transitional age, former foster youth, and probation youth um, through a transitional age youth housing program. And so a part of um, empowering my youth from graduating successfully the program into entering and accessing stable housing was also increasing my scope of knowledge as to where all do they fit, what counts, what doesn't in terms of linkages. So to answer that question in a very long-winded way, yes. So it falls under literal homelessness um, because clients are in a state of temporary security and stability. And so um, HUD recognizes it as literal homelessness. So second category of homelessness includes all individuals or families who are at an imminent risk to lose their primary residence within 14 days and also lack the resources, networks, or support networks to remain in housing. That is inclusive of a motel, so motel vouchers, that are offered through different um, drop-in centers even. Um, and uh, let me see, or where a person relies on a series of friends or family for a place. So couch surfing, um, of course, is what we commonly call that on our end as being our providers for our clients. And our third category, Individuals and families experiencing homelessness by other definitions outlined by federal statutes. This includes unaccompanied youth under the age of 25 and families with children who do not qualify as homeless under other definitions. It also includes those who would be defined as homeless under other federal statutes or have not had permanent housing in the last 60 days. It also includes families with children who have experienced more than two moves in the last 60 days and are expected to be in flux for an extended amount of time. So this category, as mentioned in summary, is covering, um, you have your unaccompanied youth, so your Tay, um, even children. Um, so often that looks like runaway youth, um, youth who have AWOL, um, children who have AWOL or runaway would fall under category three. Um, as well as um, those who have not had permanent housing um, in a 60-day period, inclusive of families uh, with children um, who have moved. 
um, a couple of times um, and are in a constant uh, flux of um, moving without any permanency. So very um, unstable, um, basically, is how I conceptualize category three is to cover all the, the instability and constant flux of not having a permanent residence, as well as your youth and your children. And last uh, category is really inclusive of those who are fleeing um, or attempting to flee domestic violence. Um, this was a component that I definitely did not know about um, until actually a few years into working in housing. Um, and so, um, and I have had several clients who would fall under this category. Um, so definitely want to highlight category four um, because domestic violence is a large barrier and actually a an, an unfortunately common barrier um, that a lot of our clients um, encounter. So um, that's, um, that is it. So Note that the, these four, four categories that we just covered are used for both adults and youth, and that youth can actually self-certify if they do not have a documented root of homelessness status. So self-certifying just meaning self-disclosure self um, statements um, and just, um, for example, if they don't have someone to sell to attest, they can self-attest um, to gain access to programs um, if they fall under um, the categorical um, homelessness that we just reviewed. Uh, also note that if a youth does not want someone such as their caregiver to be contacted due to safety reasons, that a provider should absolutely not contact that person. And the providers, um, mandate or responsibility is to document the youth's concerns and the reason that the person was not contacted, but that is um, actually a right and a privilege that a youth does have. And so this diagram is a visual representation of various housing access points and the larger entities that fund them. So um, you start with federal at the top, you have section eight, public housing, there's some overlap here. So if you go to the left under state, section eight's represented again. There's also transitional housing program plus, so that's THB plus uh, for 18 to 24 year olds, um, formerly impacted by the foster care system or juvenile justice system. And then going on down under that, we have city. So we have CES, our coordinated entry system. RRH stands for rapid rehousing. Moving right along under the community, there's family reunification programs and funds that support family reunification. There's also just the, the local rooms for rent, um, landlords who own a property, um, but maybe a multi-unit property rent, renting out those rooms um, that are shared for about 600 bucks a month. Um, and then above community, you have county. Once again, some duplicates, CES, coordinated entry system, rapid rehousing, and then affordable housing opportunities, of course. And so I just want to highlight that 
no surprise and doesn't need to be said that navigating housing and navigating the housing system is complex and it can be frustrating, overwhelming. And so um, my hope in this type of diagram is to just help conceptualize um, that there's a lot of different systems um, in which you can link clients to accessing housing. And in fact, there are systems where it's not considered double dipping. You can be enrolling a client um, in one arm of things while simultaneously supporting a client with getting access to another housing program. Um, I hear that that's a question that comes up sometimes um, that I've been asking some social workers. And throughout um, my portion, um, I will touch and speak about um, on some of these programs that I have under here, starting with section eight. Okay, so section eight is what we're familiar with as our voucher program, our subsidy program. Um, and just as a recap, um, it is a federal as well as state program um, to assist individuals and families with affording housing. Note that there are income eligibility requirements, and if someone is eligible for the program, there may in fact be that dreaded waiting list. Um, and in a lot of cases, there that's exactly what we're connecting our clients to is the open wait list, um, particularly in the county of Los Angeles where it's extremely competitive, right? But if a client, and I like to be optimistic and strengths-based, so if and when a client successfully gets the voucher, um, then they're able to use that to find their own housing. Um, the property owner of that said housing has to agree to rent the housing under the housing choice voucher program. So it has to be the landlord, has to be in agreement um, that they are going to participate in the voucher in the Section 8 program to be able to um, provide that um, rent that's affordable for a client with the voucher. Um, and then more technicalities, this housing subsidy or voucher is paid directly to the landlord on behalf of the individual and family. And in some cases, if the subsidy does not cover the entire rent, which can happen, then the individual or family is responsible for the difference. So that's one route um, that is the standard, um, golden standard of Section 8 vouchers. Of course, there are um, other Section 8 um, complexes within their entirety that are wholly and all dedicated to Section 8 units, um, or you have mixed unit complexes at times. So it's not always in the case that a client will have to shop around and go from landlord to landlord to see what you accept my voucher. And now the nitty gritty, how do we actually support our clients with accessing Section 8 vouchers? Um, in my work, this was the goal, um, <laughs> my own personal goal. I did not want a youth to exit our program without stable housing. So um, I did a lot of cold calling, a lot of spa meetings, community meeting attendance, just to figure out all the different um, best practices and strategies to help support. And so Section 8 is attainable. 
Um, it is lengthy in terms of a timeline um, process, but it's it's out here. So some of the best practices that I found that I wanted to share with you all are um, the following. Um, connecting to a local public housing agency, or the acronym is PHA. Um, and so I think it's like each city, if I'm not mistaken, has a public housing agency. Um, and so by way of you making contact with wherever clients desired preferences of areas are to live, um, then it's helpful to be in connection with those public housing agencies so that you can be added to their listserv um, to know when open wait lists for Section 8 vouchers will um, become available. Um, another um, best tip here is helping clients um, with assessing the elig eligibility components and income requirements. Um, some vouchers are specific to age, eligibility. Um, there are some vouchers that strictly support um, senior citizens. There are some vouchers that strictly support TAY. Um, and then in addition to that, there's also income requirements that change, if I'm not mistaken, about annually um, that can impact um, where a client um, might be eligible or deemed ineligible. So in order to set our clients up for success, just um, recommending um, to make sure that you're talking and discussing with client what actually is the criteria that fits them um, so that there's not a surprise <laughs> later on. And um, we're doing our best efforts, right, to make sure we're getting them um, linked to what is the best fit. Just wanted to provide an example of what you will see um, on the link that I have on that slide. Um, so this is just a screenshot directly off of that website, just letting you be able to uh, get a glance at what to expect, what the um, public housing authority contact information looks like, um, and then what types of um, assistance, housing, um, voucher, subsidy, subsidy is being offered. And then just an example of uh, advertising and um, promotion for Section 8 waitlist. Um, so in case you're not familiar, but I'm sure some, if not a lot of you are, this is Pomona's Housing Authority Section 8 program. And um, always, always, always keep in mind the time window of um, the waitlist um, application period, um, because that can come and go so fast. Um, so I definitely encourage you all to um, request to be a part of the listservs for different PHAs so that you're getting these um, um, flyers and promotional materials as soon as they're sent out so you can have your client um, meet that application window um, timeline. Another housing opportunity is called our single room occupancies. Excuse me, our SROs. So SROs is a program that's funded for the 
rehab of multiple unit residential properties to specifically provide housing in the form of a single unit for people experiencing homelessness. This type of housing can be emergency, transitional, as well as permanent. It also comes with supported services, such as food services, case management, clinical support, transportation, and community events. So what we, if you don't recognize SRO, what you might recognize is skid row. So skid row is typically um, where a lot of single room occupancies are located. Um, and this is another uh, situation and scenario in which I did just go down there and um, I went to Midnight Mission um, to just ask from a client's point of view, how could I get connected and um, how could I end up in a SRO? So for those of you unfamiliar, Midnight Mission is actually a shelter in, S, uh, excuse me, in Skid Row. And so SROs are pretty competitive and a little tricky to navigate. The best practice uh, for linking a client is to, an example of Midnight Mission, link them first to a shelter uh, in the Skid Row area that has a direct feeder into SROs because that is one of the uh, more successful routes that a client can actually attain an SRO is promoting into the SRO by way of first entering through the shelter. Um, there's a website I put on here just so that you can get more information. Um, but there are no current vacancies available per what the site is going to say. And um, actually, the site said the same exact thing even a year ago or six months ago when we last did this training. Um, so just wanted to put on your radar that definitely am going to stand behind um, linking clients if this is an option that you and client find uh, is a best fit to link clients to the um, shelters um, in Skid Row for, as for example, Midnight Mission. I'm gonna check the chat because I see some things coming in. Um, current issues coming across section, process, section eight process, clients who have fixed income have difficulties paying for application fees. Another issue is when a client completes the application, has paid the fees, they will be given a tour of the unit. However, find out that the landlord Mm, property manager decline their application where the client loses out on money from the application fee. That's really insightful and um, definitely discouraging. Um, thank you for sharing that. Is there a list of feeder service providers? Great question. Um, so take note of Midnight Mission. Um, in addition to that, the website that I do have, srohousing.org, um, there you're going to find different um, which you will not see labeled as feeder service providers, but you'll find different shelters and different um, emergency shelters within that Skid Row area. Also, a general search of Skid Row's um, shelters are going to generally land your client into accessing an SRO, but I highly encourage you to contact the shelter and um, 
connect um, with point of contacts there to ask, like I did, you know, from a client standpoint, how do I access and navigate um, entering into shelter and then promoting from shelter into SRO or some other type of stable housing and just see what they say. Okay, so the next um, very convoluted um, but a fruitful system of accessing housing is the county's coordinated entry system, which was conceptualized in about 2010. And so coordinated entry system um, helps pretty much coordinate provider efforts to create um, a real-time list of individuals experiencing house homelessness and then a, a means to quickly, ideally quickly and efficiently match those persons to available housing resources and services that best fit their needs. So pretty much coordinated entry system is going to have housing in each spa across the county. So there's eight uh, service planning areas or spas in LA County. And the coordinated entry system has um, different housing systems, using that word a lot, system, I'm sorry, but different housing systems that serve a, the category of adults, category of families with children, and also the category um, that falls under youth. And CES integrates housing first, harm reduction and trauma-informed care approaches um, to its housing and supportive services um, to um, best fit the needs of our clients. So I'm going to quickly walk us through how to actually link a client um, to CES. Um, and so on the left, you see points of entry, right? There's outreach, drop-in centers, shelters, um, mental health, schools, community programs, other systems. So essentially client, first step is you wanna link your client to an access point. The access point um, is going to have case managers, they're gonna do a brief intake and essentially their job is to provide the client with an assessment, which you see is called the next step tool. That assessment is going to um, identify the acuity of that client's needs. Um, and then based off of that score, the matcher uh, of that um, spa and over that system of adults, families, or youth, is going to place client on uh, an acuity list based off of need, priority, and then will match the client to an available housing resource, um, just purely off of what's vacant and uh, or what has a vacancy, I should say, excuse me. So that's what you see on the right, the um, different options, um, permanent um, connections can be a result of that. Rapid rehousing is offered through um, linking your client through the CES, transitional housing programs, um, sometimes um, different um, lead agencies will also have vouchers, um, and there's also family reunification programs that can happen as well. So just want to note that a best practice that I have encountered in dealing with this system for quite a while 
if an individual, if a client indicates, um, hey, you know, I know that right now I am living in what may be, let's say, East Los Angeles um, Spa 7. I'm currently in the Spa 7 area. However, I don't want to, this is not my desired geographical location. You can empower the client to still link to a drop-in center in the Spa 7 area to get placed in the CES coordinated entry system and empower the client to let the workers know while doing the assessment that where their preferred geographical um, location of living is. And that will be noted and that will be acknowledged. Um, I've definitely seen it happen in multiple occasions. Um, also encourage you to just be aware of the local access points um, so that you have that information on hand. Like I said, I will have all these links on a one shooter for you. Um, and it is broken up by spa and then by a uh, category. All right, so that's CES. Um, I'm gonna actually speed through my next upcoming slides so that I can give my colleagues his time to shine. Another unique opportunity, safe parking program. So if you have a client who has a vehicle, sleeping in their vehicle, um, there are safe parking programs available for a client. A convoluted topic to talk about, but um, another the um, option, um, enriched residential care program is also known as boarding cares. Um, so just want to put that on your radar. That is another route to accessing um, some housing for your client. Links will all be on that one sheeter, including this, how to even um, navigate that system. It's called the Mental Health, Mental Health Resource Locator and Navigator, um, specifically for DMH staff. So I encourage you all to sign up for that. You'll see this in the PDF as well, um, but just some examples of some different um, list of active boarding care facilities. And then, of course, substance use um, treatments, inpatient programs that also provides housing. And sometimes um, a client will be willing. And, um, you know, for the sake of I need um, shelter, I need food. Um, this is a route that you can explore as well. And you can identify different programs through SAMHSA. And then overall, um, HUD does have their own housing resource locator um, that provides different affordable housing, local um, opportunities, um, in addition to some permanent and supportive housing opportunities. So um, definitely check that out. And once again, we'll be on the one sheeter. And that's it for me. So I'm going to let Larry take over. Thank you for your time and continue to put questions in the chat if they come up. Great job, Danielle, and um, welcome again to everyone. And I just wanted to introduce myself very briefly. Uh, Larry Fernandez, part of the PMHP team. I have come um, with a background of FSP predominantly in the last 15 years as a director and in the mental health system substance abuse area for the last, uh, I don't know, over about 22 years or so. So part of my, my um, part of my, uh, uh, contribution to the training today is really focusing on things to consider as part of uh, um, unique housing placements that are probably more in the non-traditional sense, if you will. I will start by uh, showing a very quick video. 
off the streets and prevent encampments from returning has just been signed by L.A. Mayor Karen Bass. It's part of the city's Inside Safe initiative, and I would assume reporter Josh Haskell is live in Hollywood, where this marks Bass's second executive directive during her first 100 days. Josh? And David, like so many homeless encampments in L.A., they get cleared, then they come back. And this one in Hollywood is no different. But Mayor Karen Bass says what's different is her approach. It's one of the most notorious homeless encampments in the city of Los Angeles and has been on Coanga Boulevard in Hollywood under the 101 freeway for years. Mayor Karen Bass says her program Inside Safe changes the city's approach to encampments and she believes these sidewalks will soon be clear permanently. The role of the police is if they are needed, but be clear that this is a housing-based strategy. This is not a punitive strategy. This is not about cleaning up and clearing out. Of course, that will happen in the context of it. And Eyewitness News was there Wednesday when sanitation crews began taking apart the encampment and discarding belongings left behind. Social workers met with the individuals at the encampment and were mostly successful in getting them to board this bus to temporary housing. They're getting me a hotel room and I'm going to see how it works out and uh, I don't know about housing though. This man who wanted to be called Joseph told us he's tired of having his belongings stolen and wants a steady job. You know, the homeless, they're, they're brutal, you know, they're out there, they're out there to, um, you know, themselves. 25 people live at this encampment and by Wednesday, 10 had been housed. This encampment is the first to be cleared under Bass's Inside Safe program, which utilizes master leasing of hotel rooms and apartments to serve as temporary housing until permanent housing is available. You said one of the biggest issues is that temporary housing yes. often runs out. I know that your emergency order cuts through the red tape, but you can never really build enough permanent housing right now that you will need. So what is your administration doing specifically so I, I wanted to start really quick with that video just to um, bring you bring you to um, to the insight of that inside safe program one. Secondly, knowing that there's a uh, uh, a a a step process for that, and it's not going to be night you know overnight that all our clients that need housing support are, are just going to um, access housing, right? So um, as we as we as we think about a client here in this experience. Let's say you are the FSP provider in the middle or maybe um, another service provider, but that is you in the middle. Housing is just one element that we have to deal with in order to really make our client complete with the needs that they have. So as we look at that one particular um, particular um, housing support that we're doing, we're thinking about both um, formal and informal. So as I'm mentioning um, housing um, informal strategies, I want you to think about the moments in which you're working with a client in which there's no formal system available. We're thinking about things like, you know, plan B, secondary options, uh, brief temporary um, um, resolutions that we have to go through. So again, as we look at this hierarchy of needs based off of Maslow, I just want to, I just want to, um, you know, look quickly over to the right where it shows how much case management we're actually doing to really put one client throughout through, through the paradigm of treatment, right? And so I will go through that quickly. So at your leisure, you can look at that. It's pretty good. It's really nice to share with your, with your team or even with your colleagues. Um, the first um, indicator here, 
is I just want to I want to bring you to the statistical component of what we're doing um, um, in our surrounding community here in LA. Um, the the latest poll that this uh, this all was generated less than a year ago um, with our homeless count. For those of you that 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 are aware of it, um, the homeless count of LA started yesterday night, so we should be having some new statistics soon. Um, but as of as of the latest statistics, we have one hundred and fifty one thousand two hundred and seventy um, thousand individuals that are homeless in California. And this is the highest it's been since 2007. Um, again, 17% of an increase. In these next slides, I want to, I, I just want to uh, um, want you to look at both the orange and the blue slide. So as we look at the years, we looked at 2019, um, that orange um, unsheltered percentage is, uh, is significantly higher than it's been in a while. As we look at these slides here, um, these are very um, telling slides. Let's start with the first one where it indicates um, the ethnicity of African-American. African-American by capita, which means all of the African-American individuals living in Los Angeles County are in that blue area. So that is everyone that would fall under that category. However, right next to them is an orange um, percentage. And of all those individuals in that blue area, up to almost 30% of those individuals have, have at some point been considered homeless. Um, now, if you look at um, the, the, the third category there, which it may not seem like a lot statistically, but it's huge. If you look at um, American Indian, Alaskan Native, almost twice the percent of the, the uh, amount of, of individuals are homeless. And then lastly, you have the Latino um, um, uh, population who is probably the, the, the largest in Los, Angeles, Los Angeles and in California with probably about 30 odd, maybe 30, 32, 33 percent of homeless individuals in that in that space. And as you look at um, those here in um, California with a physical health problem, um, up to 45 percent of a person with with a, a, a medical problem um, um, of those homeless in L.A. County, um, 45% of the homeless individuals were also noted to have a comorbid um, physical problem. And of those with a mental illness, up to uh, almost 50%, if not more than 50% of those individuals were homeless. And of the individuals that were under the category of substance abuse or having a substance abuse problem, 50, if not a little over 50% of them also struggled with homelessness. So again, as we see the statistics, it's very telling of who we're working with. And I, I got about a minute to go, so I'm going to rush through some stuff here. As um, just um, as as we as I reviewed that last slide, I just wanted to let you know that what I just presented will be our start point tomorrow, and it'll take us into some informal strategies that'll allow for us to really connect the dots again as in a plan B format in a non-formatted way that's maybe unofficial or um, informal. So thanks so much. Thanks for your participation. We'll see you again tomorrow.